The Athletic. So we shied away from calling the victory at Leicester a big win, but if Saturday's three points at Stamford Bridge wasn't a big win, then I just don't know what is anymore. A solid performance in more ways than one, and a great result heading into Tuesday's Champions League tie with PSG and that dreaded trip to Anfield next weekend. This is Why Always Us, your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. Sam Lee's here also. Hi, Sam. Morning. How are you doing? Morning. Morning. Where, where yeah, you are? In yeah, Paris? Yeah, it's mid-afternoon in Paris, isn't it? But yeah. <laughs> morning is a state of mind. Oh, there's, there's blue sky now. There's blue sky. Excellent. I was, I was not prepared. I, was, I did not pack for the weather in Paris this morning. Amazing. I'm well, basically well, staying in my hotel until it changes. Good. Well, we'll get more from that later on. That giggle you could hear there was uh, our guest for this week as well. We're joined by former City centre-back and all-round podcasting master, I must say, Nedim Anua. <laughs> Good afternoon, good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. How are you, Nedum? Yeah, Trebian, Trebian. That's, that's what they say, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't, isn't that right, Sam, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they were saying. Um, in it, although in English earlier, they, they explained that there's no towels in the hotel until this afternoon. So, ah, okay. not, not very Trebian so far. Yeah. Well, <laughs> things can yeah. only get better. That's, that's where this podcast comes in. That's the extent of my French as well, and I did French A-level, so uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's leave that there quite uh, quite quite quickly, shall we? Uh, you can sign up to The Athletic right now and read all of Sam's stuff on City, and if you sign up now, you can get 33% off the price of a full subscription. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod. Um, let's start with that performance at Chelsea then at the weekend, because uh, Sam, me and you were chatting um, just after the game, uh, and I, I couldn't really decide if Chelsea offered nothing and their tactics were very negative because um and then afterwards Tuchel said that that uh, basically City didn't let them play uh, so which was it Chelsea bad City good bit of both what 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 you thought it was it was definitely both like Chelsea's setup was very it was unusual considering I don't know maybe maybe we we've overblown the the kind of tactical victories that Tuchel got over Guardiola in the past we know they didn't necessarily deserve to win all of those three games but ultimately in the final they definitely did um, so it was strange that they they set up that way in a way that didn't really allow them many options to get out. And even when there were options, it was normally Kante having to bring the ball forward or play the pass forward, which he's very good at many things and he's got better at going forward. But that's still not the guy you'd want, there, especially in that squad with other options available. But that said, City were great at like, really compounding that. And yeah, my analysis I did at half time was um, Chelsea can't get out. But City can't get in. And that was kind of how the first half went because City was so good at, at stopping Chelsea and they won the ball back 30, 35 yards from the Chelsea goal so often, a bit like Southampton did against City last weekend. So it was a great performance in that sense. And the second half was a great performance in a different sense. But it was definitely a bit of both. Well, I'm sure Nedim will tell me I'm wrong. But <laughs> no, no. Listen, it, it was definitely a bit of both in my no, opinion. No, no, every one of our conversations starts off with me saying that you're wrong. Like a few of them do, but not everything. Many of them so, do, don't they, Nedim? That's, that's no, true. To be fair, like <laughs> I, 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 since I've been back in England, I've enjoyed speaking with Sam because we sort of like pick each other's brains about certain things. You know, sometimes I see something, sometimes he sees something and we are added to this whole picture. And we've like, we've been going back and forth for probably the last month or so about what City season is and what the team's like and so on. And when you look at, for me anyway, when you look at that Chelsea game, to put you into a different perspective, because, so they played City four times last year. Is, I think, is that right? Four times? Yeah. With Tuchel, okay. One was Lampard. Yeah, so the first one was Lampard was like, you know, we, we tend to disregard it, but that was one of the first times where City went without a true striker in the game. And that was going to become the norm. And I thought they played quite well in that game because they controlled it. Then there was the um, FA Cup game, I think 
where City made a host of changes. Then there was the next game where City put out every possible attacker that was alive at the club <laughs> and they put them across the front line and midfield. So that, again, that wasn't normal City. And then when we talk about the... I don't want to talk about the Champions League. Like, so it, I don't think this is a separate take, but within that, there's always there was talk about Fernandinho playing and, you know, because he played so well in the semi-final and all that stuff. Like, I get it. I get it. But I always refer back to in that game, there were some City players who probably had their worst game of the season and they were in their normal spots. So when I look, look at that, tactically, like Chelsea were good, but for City, you know, tactically there's that element there, but there was, the players just, some players just didn't perform, you know, so when thing, all things are equal, if, so if certain City players would have performed better, in my opinion, during that game, whether Gundogan was in a six or not, I think the game could have been more competitive and they could have created more. If maybe Phil took his chance, which was blocked by Rudiger, say in the first half or something, then maybe it goes in a different direction. So, you know, tactically, like I say, it seemed like Tuchel may have one-upped him. But then from a performance standpoint, like, I think that was the bigger thing. So then going into this game here, let's, this is how I see it. So Tuchel went for the three in midfield because he probably thought City going to have a ton of players in there. And if you have three players in midfield, then at least you've got half a chance of trying to win some sort of midfield battle. Maybe you can control the game a bit more. So he tried it, but City still had a thousand players in there. As Sam was alluding to there, the amount of times they won the ball up high is because for Chelsea, like they're a great team, but they, they are predictable in terms of how they play. The ball goes here, the ball goes here, the ball goes here. And that's not a weakness. You know, that's the strength that they have because so far nobody stopped it. But how do you stop it now when Jorginho gets the ball and he's got four players around him? And he rolls it to Kovacic, he's got four players around him. And then he rolls it to Kante, he's got three, four players around him. You know, you don't see the game in the same manner when their body's constantly around you. And so as a consequence, with City, with the extra bodies they had in there, it was a lot easier for them to control a game against a side who were reluctant to just go long, go back to front as often as they can, because they also like to control games. And, you know, that's hard. That's a tough position to be in because you have your beliefs. If you want to play, then great, you can try and play. But try and play when... Now, like, you're, you've, you're outnumbered in key areas. And you can see, it, it, like, they struggled off the back here and they could never go into a flow. And then to add to that, sorry, I'm ranting now, but to add to that, there's certain teams you play against where the best thing to do is to not allow them to get into their flow from the get-go. But Chelsea, their press seemed to start around the halfway line. So for the first 10, 15 minutes of the game, City were able to move the ball left and right, back and forth and so on. And they got into a groove. At the moment they got into a groove, like, City are a very hard team to break out of that. So I think they could have been, Chelsea could have been more aggressive at the start. But aside from that, I think just the way that City played and the way that they set up like that, as I said to Sam a few times recently, some of the best performances I've seen from Man City in my lifetime have come without a striker because they can control the game in a way which I've not seen. And the way they played against Chelsea away there, I don't yeah. see any other team in the Premier League being able to do that, which is why when I look at it, I sometimes wonder to myself, like, maybe this is the best version of City when they play in this way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the other thing, Sam, I don't know if you saw uh, the memes that have been going around Twitter this weekend. Uh, there's the, the meme has been, um, uh, uh, you're, uh, you're in a DMs while I'm whatever. Uh, and oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the one I saw for the city was a picture of Rodri that just said, you're in a DMs, I am the DM. And it just like <laughs> it, it just summed up Rodri's performance. He was fantastic. Yeah, it was really good. It was, it was one of those where the, the kind of scatterbrain notes I make during the game on Google Docs, like the first few were like, Rogers looking good. Like I, I could, if I'd have been more prepared, I'd have got the notes up. But I, I, like a few minutes in, he like Kante was trying to break away, and he just went no, shrugged him off. It came forward. Um, obviously, he was always in the he was in the right position to kind of get the ball. You know, when I talked about City winning the ball back, 
at 35 yards from the Chelsea goal. Normally the players ahead of him putting the guy under pressure and then he'd, he'd be there to mop it up. There was a few times when he was like a like a wildebeest or something, being mobbed by like two or three lions. And it, genuinely, there was like two or three Chelsea players. Some of them were trying to like jump around him, grab at him and he, as he was carrying the ball, but he managed to hold him off, lay it off. And then I suppose if you think, if you contrast that to kind of Fernandinho, I suppose, in the similar kind of pressure against Southampton last week and how he struggled, not that, you know, not that it means anything outside of those two particular performances and those two particular games. But I thought that was a big contrast. And yeah, Rodri... Like, for example, I thought Rodri stood out as having, like, a really good game early on, whereas Bernardo, in my opinion, I know other people spied it sooner, but it was about five minutes into the second half when I was, oh, Bernardo's having a really good game. But straight away, everything Rodri did was like, oh, that's noticeably good. And I think the difference is probably that with Rodri, you're never quite sure. Like, there's no guarantee that he's going to stop somebody on a transition, isn't there? There's no guarantee that he's going to... I don't know, maybe shrug somebody off when he's under pressure. Um, But he did that and he really stood out. And It's one of those where you could highlight every City player. You certainly couldn't pick a fault in any of them, really. But Rodri in particular was very good. Let's talk strikers, Nedum, because um, as much as you say this is the best incarnation of City or one of the best incarnations of City right now, um, there there is still the fact that Grealish missed a chance, the Jesus had one cleared off the line, the goal did come from a deflection, it was, okay, you need that little bit of luck sometimes, and they didn't get that luck against Southampton, but they did against Chelsea. Um, does a number nine just simply make those problems go away, or does it take no. a body out of the midfield that, they, that they've been using so well elsewhere? So... Um... This is this is what gets me here. And I think this weekend kind of summarised it perfectly. So in Chelsea and Man United, they've got two of the best nines or whatever in the world. Neither of them scored a goal this weekend. Chelsea didn't have a shot on target this weekend with Lukaku and Werner behind him or whatever. Ronaldo didn't score. City, like, as, like I speak to Sam about this all the time. A striker... Yes, he's proven is more clinical, but a striker does not take 100% of all their chances anyway. Otherwise, every striker, like the top, top ones, would be scoring 40 a season in the league, and they don't do that. They literally don't do that. You could, you could maybe argue that, well, you could definitely argue that City's forward line could be more clinical, but then you look at the chances that they're able to create, and these guys still end up with 10, 15 goals a season anyway, which I think carries more weight than, say, having a true alliance on just one person to score the majority of their goals. Like... Um, so I, I see it, but then if I, I pictured that Chelsea game there and I thought if, for example, they had a Harry Kane in there, would they be able to control the game in, in the way in which they did? And I thought to myself, no, I don't think they can. But then when you're able to control the game, then the destiny, well, then the sort of, it feels like the result itself is now going to be down to you. Can you take a chance? And for City, like they had more attempts, at, more attempts on goal and more shots on target than Chelsea with a striker who cost £100 million. So which one do you think is essentially more important? Having a striker on the field to maybe sniff out a chance or having players on the field who can, you know, generate opportunities and control the you pace know, of the you game. Know, well. our service. That we, we had a similar chat about Ronaldo though, didn't we? And yeah. I don't know if I could summarise it, but I was like, well, basically, Ronaldo at United doesn't solve any problems because their problems are kind of in the kitchen, as it were. And you need, you know, you need you need the waiter to bring the to bring the food out of the kitchen to I'm going to mix the metaphor now. Put it in the box. But like, that's, <laughs> that was that was Chelsea's problem as well because they didn't have any they didn't have any service. But at City, if you give, let's say Lukaku or Ronaldo, let's say they had either of them, if you give them service, which 99 times out of 100 you're going to get in the City team, then you've got a different beast. But I, this is a really interesting conversation, and it's I think we slipped into this conversation really casually. But it's probably the first time 
I reckon that this has really been added to the, the kind of discourse around City needing the striker. Um, not just that they're kind of, they're fine without one because they did all this, that and the other last season, or that they definitely need one because of this chance or that chance and the, the flaws that can be picked in that, those arguments. Like, I th- there is an argument that they are better without one, and this, this is the argument. Um, what I think, and it's similar to what I was saying last year, when people were kind of saying, because it's funny, actually, at the start of the year, if you remember, people were saying, well, City don't need a striker. You know, when Aguero was out and Jesus wasn't really playing, people, people were actually arguing back then. It's, it was sort of the opposite to now. People saying, oh, they don't really need one. And I was like, well, it's just another option, isn't it? Like in 2018, 19, and basically once Aguero had learned exactly what Guardiola wanted or just did whatever Guardiola wanted or whatever, he was in. He did play. They did play with the striker. They did play great football. And it's basically, I think if you've got that figurehead, it's another option. But I really do get the point that, I'm going to go back a second actually, because I wrote, wrote an article about needing a striker or, or not at the weekend. And I, I kind of highlighted, I was like, well, you know, would the fact that City had Kane for argument's sake stop Grealish for missing a chance or Foden for missing a chance or, you know, Jesus and Sterling with their big chance conversion rate, you know, that, that's not going to improve anyway, which people don't seem to yeah. talk about. And then, um, I, and then I said, in terms of the false nine, I was like, well, Guardiola hasn't used one recently. No, sorry, he's used a false nine recently, but he's only really used one when he's not had a proper striker because he dropped Aguero in the first 18 months of Guardiola being in charge for like Barca game, United game, probably some others when he wanted more pressing and that kind of stuff. But as soon as Aguero was that man, then he brought him back in. And then when he stopped being that man in the last year when he was injured, he took him back out. So the point I made was Guardiola likes a striker. And they'll play a striker if they get one. And he, he definitely does want one, which is obvious from his quotes at the weekend. But then me and Nadam spoke on the, on the... I was on the train back from London. And when I got back to the station, I called him back because the signal was crap. Because it is actually a really interesting idea. And it did make me think that these performances that got City to the Champions League final, that, you know, when City played, oh God, they're playing Haaland, how are they going to keep him quiet? And people were talking about Diaz or Stones or whatever. They just starved him of the ball. And they did the same, more or less, well, for three quarters of the PSG... Um, ties the two legs they did the same to PSG and you do think these are like as Adam says these are probably some of the best performances in in City's history without one um, mm. so it is interesting and then I suppose you get into the realms of if they bought Haaland would they drop him for a big game where they needed to control something mm. which is this kind of 4D, is so 4D is this so? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so interesting because obviously there's no right or wrong answer as such. But because of the way we've sort of been raised in terms of viewing football and the fact that we had Sergio Aguero in the building for the years that we did, you know that feels the norm. And anything that goes against that, at some point we'll reverse back. We'll revert back to what we think is should be when things are going wrong. But I think in some ways that discredits when things are going right because it would probably those games will probably feel more yeah. iconic. Like if if they if if they had a striker playing on the weekend and they played the same way then it'd be like you know this this is why you need a striker and this that and the other but it didn't happen I mean you talk about the PSG sort of like semi-final the second game like I thought they were incredible again there was no striker but they were just they were incredible and even like I'm still trying to figure out this particular take as well so I think in our lifetimes the best Premier League version of Liverpool has been in the last three four years if you disregard last year yeah and they don't and the least important person in their forward line is Firmino because all the goals essentially coming out from the people who are out wider because it's more about the forwards and total people can like um, say the totality in terms of other people contributing because I look, this just today or oh, yesterday sorry we were talking about Spurs and Arsenal saying Aubameyang needs to score and saying Kane needs to score and this that and the other but those two sides have been in recent memory have been like unsuccessful 
even like Kane last season gets maybe the golden boot and the assist thing and Spurs are nowhere near anything. You know, the, this whole concept of the nine has to be the most important bit. Well, maybe the conversation should be, say, for example, at Spurs, maybe other people need to contribute as well if they want to be in with a chance of being successful. Because like, as I say, City, Man City and Liverpool in the last few years have consistently been the best two sides in the Premier League, in my opinion. So like, what's, what's wrong with that sort of model? Because even with Aguero, he was a nine. But it's a very non-traditional line to what you'd expect to see in England, playing for a non-traditional manager in, in Pep Guardiola. So, yeah, what do you think, Moons? I, um, I've i been sat here listening to you both, and I honestly, I'm going to sit on the fence because I, I want a new striker at City because I would like somebody there to finish off the chances. But equally, I agree with you that the performances without one haven't given me any form of uh, any cause of concern. I'm just not worried when when Guardiola names his team and it doesn't have a, a centre forward in at the moment. I genuinely still don't think where are the goals coming from. We've seen them. I mean, I know it's Norwich and Arsenal, but they battered both of them and didn't play a, a recognised centre forward in that sense. There's yeah. no th- there's no point in the last eighteen months or so where certainly where certainly when the going got tough and the like the business end of the season was coming around. For the whole of that run at the end of last season, I was I just wasn't worried where the goals were coming from because I knew City had a system to do it. And like Sam said, there was the it was it was about the service for the players in the middle. And you've got you know it, it, as long as there is somebody getting on the end of De Bruyne's ball, which is it might be Bernardo, it might be Foden, it might be whoever. There, there's, there, there's a good chance City will take enough of their chances to win the game. And yeah. I mean, in a weird sense, it kind of segues into what I wanted to talk about next as well because. City aren't conceding goals this season. And so when they score one against Chelsea, and okay, they missed the chance with, with Grealish and the, uh, you know Jesus had one off the line, you're also confident that City aren't going to concede goals at the moment. I mean, it's one goal conceded in, in six games this season. Uh, that includes, obviously, Spurs away, Leicester away, Chelsea away. One of the, the, the single goal came in, in, in the opening day. Um, they've only let six shots on target against them all season. So I mean that that <laughs> like those That's stats, nice. it's just mad, isn't it? Well, yeah. Um, so just to go back to when you said about the lineups and stuff, it, it's all it's also funny as well how things have changed this year in terms of my colleague sat next to me the other day and he was like, "Has Guardiola done anything mad with the team?" And I was like, "No, no, you know, just Foden was a false nine, and it's like that, that's that's just completely normal now." Um, when he came, obviously, when he started doing that and dropping Aguero, it was like the maddest thing in the world. But those those things. Are, completely <laughs> those days are gone. <laughs> but even if they'd lost even if he had lost at the weekend nobody would have said oh he overthought it he tried to do this that or the other like that the, the false nine thing is just completely accepted now i suppose that's because it's been shown to work in terms of the defense i mean they're just incredibly well like they are incredibly well organized and you know you talk about well organized teams it's almost like a, a euphemism for a limited team isn't it you know if you play like some European or African team in the World Cup that you don't really watch go, oh, well, they're well organised, but you're not really expecting much from them. But when you actually say it about City, I saw some quotes from Sami Nasri this morning, actually, just saying, you know, everyone everyone is in their position. You know, if you're not in your position, Guardiola will like tear you to pieces or whatever, no matter who you are or what salary, salary you're earning or whatever. And I know that's obvious, but it's just, it's as simple as that in a lot of these games. Like, this, the combination of that and having such good players... You know, a couple of weeks ago when I was like, I need to start looking at City a bit more like, you know, like a Charlton fan or a Villa fan or something and just go, oh, yeah, actually, sometimes just the amount of quality they've got is is the answer. Just and wins the game, yeah. If, I mean, in the Norwich and Arsenal games in particular, they were just on a different planet. The Leicester game, it's, yeah, you could see more of the organisation there. And, okay, we talked about this, but Leicester had a few chances on the break, but 
it wasn't really City doing anything wrong. It was just Leicester being good at it. Mm. It was just Leicester being set up to to create those chances. Like if if you, if you get to um, like Old Brighton a split second late and he flicks it around you, you could say that's a you could say that's a problem. But if you play Leicester in a, in a stadium like that, you're going to concede counter attacks. So mm. I mean, I can't I can't put my finger on why City is so defensively excellent above and beyond what we kind of said last year since since Diaz came in and helped kind of galvanise things and make them a bit more, they do look a bit more happy to chip in and battle, which is very basic. Um, but on top of that, it's more like, like I was saying about the organisation and getting the ball to the, the strikers of the teams. The, Lukaku and Ronaldo's problem is they don't have great service and Ronaldo's problem will be for a lot of the season. That, whereas Lukaku's was that in a one-off game at the weekend and it probably won't be. It's the other way around as well with the defence. They're just... The organisation is there so much. And just in terms of that willingness to put a foot in, and we were quite close in the press box to the sta- uh, to the pitch of the day. And it was great in terms of the energy and the intensity and stuff. And Cancelo was really putting himself around. Like there was there was like three or four, it can't be three or four, but it felt like it, 50-50s that he was just kind of bouncing in between. And it's like if people like Cancelo, who I still would say are defensively quite suspect or certainly more so than hmm, a lot of the others. He, he was really putting himself about as well. And they, they've obviously bought into the idea again. And, you know, we, we were reluctant after the Leicester game to talk about how much it means for the season. And I still am, because, look, if City lose against Liverpool next week, we'll be talking about them being how, however far off the top and however far off the supposed quality required. But it does look like they've bought into this idea of, you know, they're going to go and get these results. You know, if we're talking about the complacency that can creep in that you can't really put your finger on when a team's won the title, it, I don't know if you can have these results, especially like Chelsea, if the yeah. players don't believe and don't want to run and don't want to do this, that and the other. Like, it, was all, it was all there and that kind of helps you know, shut teams out. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Nedim, is it simply Diaz? Is it Diaz and who, basically, is, is um, what I'm asking? Because the, the, the image of him at the end of the game, the, the, I watched on BT Sport, and there was a point where the cameraman on the pitch, was Diaz was walking at him. He'd thrown his shirt into the crowd. He still had the captain's armband on, and he thumped his chest. And it just kind of sent off this message of, nothing is getting past me. Um. I wouldn't necessarily say it's just him, but he's, he's you know, he's, he has made a significant difference because he shows like a level of desire in terms of doing everything he can to keep the ball out of his goal, which maybe some of these sort of big teams don't really have because, you know, he can just play nicely, nicely. Like for most of a game, your bigger focus might be just passing the ball as opposed to like throwing your body at shots and stuff like this. But to, to, to give City full credit, like we spoke before about how they control a game. So if you control a game, like in the first half, Chelsea had 30% possession. They had thirty percent, and most of that was probably around the back line, passing yeah, it sideways to each other. Exactly, yeah, passing it sideways to each other. And a key bit in terms of how well City defend is they defend as a collective. So for as good as Diaz is, and he's aggressive, and he wants to make it as, as hard for the strikers as possible. I always used to say to people I played with, like, if you guys up front are doing well defensively, my job at the back is far easier because yes, I could maybe win a one-on-one battle and do whatever. But if you go and press a centre back then the quality of ball coming into the midfield or the strike is going to be worse than if you decided to just not go and put in that extra effort. 
And as a consequence, teams can set up in a better manner and put you under pressure. Like that's why, for example, set pieces and stuff can be so dangerous because it's, it's an uncontested ball into the box where yeah. anything could happen. Whereas if that's an open play, there's usually like, if there's a right winger about to cross a ball and Cancelo might be stepping on his toes. And that way you know that the cross that's going to come in isn't going to be the cross that he wants because it's hard to do it in a contested manner. It's just trying to get the ball in however he can, as opposed to fully setting up. So yeah, Diaz, is, Diaz has been huge, but then Laporte's been good. And the whole back line now, to be honest with you, these are good players. You know, they've got good size, they're competitive, and even Cancelo, people say, you know, he's an attacking fullback and this, that, and the other. But he does put himself about because these guys, you know, they're winners and they have to be to be at Man City. You can't carry anybody. I think in the past, maybe one or two people thought that maybe they could, but it's your job. Like, you, this is what your job. Like, at the end of that game, you've seen Amrit Laporte taking down Lukaku, you've seen Ruben Diaz taking down Lukaku. And that's the sort of ruthless nature of the top centre backs that you come up against because, like, they'll say, well, it's, it's, it's man or ball, never both. You know, that sort of mentality. <laughs> And, yeah, and like, it's, I, it's one of them when I'm watching on TV I'm thinking you know what that is a cracking yellow card to take yeah that, exactly uh, yeah. yeah exactly but some people like I, I, like I, so I spoke to somebody who used to work at Bournemouth and when they were looking for recruitment uh, they were looking at they had like a hierarchy into well sorry a list of things which they wanted from the centre back and the like fourth or fifth most important one was an ability to defend and I thought to myself like that's at Bournemouth like what's going on here but then you look at say the likes of City now and Kyle Walker wants to defend um, Ruben Diaz wants to defend, John Stones wants to defend, Laporte wants to defend, Ake wants to defend, Cancelo looks like he wants to defend, Zinchenko wants to defend, you know, and they take pride in it. Like, because for them, they're not going to score a ton of goals. So the joy that they'll get will be from stopping the opposition. And what does it mean when, say for Diaz and those players, they're going down to Stamford Bridge for the first time in years in terms of not being a favourite for a game. People are writing them off. Coming up against a guy that's 100 million pounds that is, you know, I think he's a very good player, but people are saying this is going to be the next this, the next that, he's going to be the top scorer. And you stop him, you stop him from doing anything in the game. I don't even know if Lukaku had a shot. And then adding to that a goalkeeper like Edison, who will throw himself into the firing line. And, you know, to be a bit of a football pervert, at the end of the <laughs> game, when a cross is coming in and a goalkeeper comes out and catches it like nine foot in the air and just drops to the floor with like a minute to go, I tell you for a fact, that gets me off that, I'll be honest with you. Like that stuff is, uh, that's, that's what I mean. So it's a whole, it's this whole collective and it's those little moments like Edison didn't have to make a save, but those moments there, they're massive for a back line and they understand how it can just sort of like diffuse the whole situation. Like Lukaku rolls someone in, on the halfway line, think he's going to be going through. So no, he gets chopped down. That saves a whole situation. And I think that that back line and the team, with, whether it's Rodri Fernandinho as well, and even like little rats like Bernardo Silva in terms of the way that they play, <laughs> they understand the importance of doing certain things in certain moments to rich, literally stifle the momentum of the opposition, whether it's going and pressing them or giving away a cheap file in midfield. Because, you know, if you're going to beat City, you're going to have to beat all of them and not just one or two. And I think that for me is the key in terms of why defensively they've been so good. Yeah, and as a fully made, paid up member of the goalkeepers union, I'm so glad you gave me some enough praise there as well. That's, uh, I, uh, I I do like a goalkeeper that comes off his line with uh, wearing a gum shield because you know he's not mm. going to uh, he's not taking any prisoners. Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of the performance, Sam, and the and the result, um, I want to talk about uh, the the picture that's building at the top of the table because obviously it's still very tight. Um, we're still very early on in the season, but I was terrified that this this week would see City uh, with zero points from Stamford Bridge and Anfield. Worst case scenario was they could you know trail the leaders by six points after Sunday. Now it's it's only four points, but it, it, it feels it feels different if that makes sense um, because obviously the best case scenario is that City finished the weekend above Liverpool and Chelsea so it, it, yeah. 
there's that it, it felt like a really big win in that sense, and also it broke Chelsea's momentum in, in that they were starting to build a bit this season. Yeah, um, I think it probably just set a few narratives straight, really, and I don't I don't mean to say. For a week, I, they never I set thought, it straight for a while. It's just for a week. <laughs> no, they don't. But I mean, it's in terms of how we we see football, and I'm not I'm not even saying I was right all along because I I probably thought Chelsea were going to beat City as well. But the amount of I, I did some other media last week, and the questions weren't just what if um, City lose to Chelsea. It was like what if City lose all three of these games, and he started having conversations along the lines of, oh, you know, is it going to like what's going to be there? Is going to be Pep under pressure, striker, but. But straight away, I had to say, like, why are we? I was like, why are we talking about City losing all three games? Like, City shouldn't be an underdog in any in any match they play. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I kind of get the the concerns, but basically, in terms of how we view football and narratives and stuff, City dropped points against Southampton, Chelsea, and Liverpool won. So therefore, that just conditions how we think about them for that week. And you know, because Chelsea had such a good start, it's almost like okay, well, they're the top dogs now. Thomas Tuchel's one of the top two coaches with Klopp in the country. And, yeah, well, you know, City got their problems, haven't they? And all of a sudden, the changes again is, oh, yeah, City are really good. And, yeah, Chelsea maybe. It's, this is why after the Leicester game, and after, even after the Southampton game, I was like, it's still so early to know. I don't, I don't want to be drawn into having to take on yeah. who's yeah. going to do what and who's going where because it's six games. And it, like, even after the Chelsea game, I'm going to say it's the same thing as I did after Leicester, but like more so in terms of the, the performance being so good. But... Yeah, there are certain feels you get in terms of, okay, maybe they're not complacent or whatever. But at the same time, if they lose to Liverpool, we're going to have an international break of, or maybe they do need a striker because that that debate has not been put to bed outside this podcast. And to be honest, it's not been put to bed within it either, really. Like, there's so many schools of thought on it. But if they lose to Liverpool, that'll be raging for a bit. Um, it's, it's just... It's just kind of... It's just silly how everything's... Despite all this kind of advanced analysis we were supposed to have these days, mm-hmm. and I think if I worked for any other company, that would be taken as a swipe at the athletic, but it's, <laughs> it's obviously not. Um, for all for all of that, like we just as fans and media, although in, we in the media should have more responsibility, we can't get past what happened at the weekend. We just can't do it. It's yeah. absolutely mad. But that, yeah, for I mean, sure. for me, that that's partly because you know I I went to work on Sunday with a spring in my step because my team had put in this great performance that I was really happy to see the result with, and it's I I just think it's kind of an extension of of, of that. I don't know if that's uh, yeah, it is. And like, as a fan, I think that's absolutely fine. But like, so like in terms of what I do and try to do, like I did. To I'll be honest, I thought City were going to lose to Chelsea, and I thought it was going to be one of those performances where basically like the final. I wouldn't have been surprised by that at all. But in my analysis of it and thinking about it kind of rationally, it's like, well, this is still Man City. And this isn't just me uh, trading off reputations and Guardiola's done this in the past and the players have done this in the past. I was like, if I'm actually thinking about this rationally and giving whoever's watching or listening to this some kind of insight, like, you can't, you just can't dismiss City so out of hand. Yeah. Like, especially based off what? The Southampton yeah. game when, okay, a game plan was executed brilliantly against them, but that can happen. Yeah, Sam, we, you, we, you know, when we speak, like, it probably stresses you out at certain points where I'm just trying to be 100% rational about something because I'm like a fan but or whatever. That's the thing, because I think I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's like, it's, it's so early in the season, but because it's news media and because it's every round of games means something, they have to talk about something and they want to, like, go big on something and they draw people on who have big takes on stuff like... I think we spoke off air before, but somebody was saying on Friday that City are worse off this year than they were last year. 
And I'm thinking to myself, well, how does that work when you've brought in a player for 100 million pounds and the people that have left were people who weren't significant in their run last season where they played in every game but one that was available to the football club? You know, how does how does that work? But then some of it, I think, comes because of this Kane saga. There's a perception, I think, kind of like what you see with um, game shows and stuff whereby somebody's sitting there and they've, they've been winning money along the way and then something bad happens at the end and they end up leaving without that money. So people feel like they've lost, but you haven't lost. You're just leaving as you were. But City leaving that saga as they were, they're leaving as the champions yeah. of the Premier League and Champions League finalists. And now they've brought in Jack Grealish. But people are like, well, you know, Kane would be doing this or Kane would be doing that. Like if the striker didn't have a name or a face or whatever to it, and it was just City are potentially looking for a striker, the conversations would be far different than the fact that, you know, talking about Harry Kane who scores a ton of goals in the Premier League. So yeah. like it's, this is, as I say, that's just me trying to be logical. And it just, it's, it's crazy. These are crazy times. But then we've got examples like last year, last year, like City were out of it in October, November time. They were a million miles away from it. They weren't going to do anything. They were not going to do anything. Yeah, they weren't going to do anything. They won the league by multiple points. So <laughs> so why are we in September thinking, well, if they lose these two games, that's the end of it. You know, like football is football. Teams drop points. That's like the inevitability of it all. Some teams go on good runs at start. Some people can do it in the middle. Some people do it at the end. It's very rare that a team, even if they appear great, will be completely dominant throughout an entire season. So why do we sort of like dine on this sort of like, yeah, they're struggling here, especially given the fact that for City and some other teams, most of their players didn't even arrive for the season until like two weeks before the first ball was kicked. So they're going to be getting better. Yet still here we are thinking like, well, not me anyway, and sure not other people. But people's perception, like City for me are the best team because their ceiling is higher than everybody else's. It might not be by a lot, but it's higher than everybody else's. So when they perform anywhere near their best, I think they can beat absolutely anybody. But this year, people was thinking that City's ceiling was lower, but it's not. Because yeah. I think only the way that they played against Chelsea, I'm seeing no other team currently in the Premier League that would be able to go down there and do that. Like teams might beat Chelsea, but the manner in which they did is one of the most City things in this era that I think I've seen. Yeah. Can I, just before we move on to PSG, Nedham, can I just ask you, did you know when you made the quiz show analogy that both me and Sam have applied for the chase? <laughs> Do you know what? I did oh, it. Yeah. I did it, but I look forward to that. I'm, I'm like, if I'm going to be on it, I'll be hearing about that very soon because they're filming about November, December. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in the pool waiting. So, yeah. I didn't get an audition this time round. So, uh, there oh, we go. Dear, oh, dear. Never mind. They've already, they've already decided, haven't they? Uh, right. So, let's, uh, let's have a look at the PSG game uh, on Tuesday evening. Um, Sam, is this important, this game for the group, given that uh, the, the situation obviously is, you know, win or not, there's still plenty of games left in the group to be able to rectify the situation, but City have got themselves off yeah. to a good start as well? Well, yeah, they've got themselves off to a good start. Um, also, we saw that Leipzig can cause them problems, but, you know, City are too strong. But even if that were to be the case in the last game, if, it, it, it's the last game of the group, so there's a good chance for City to wrap it up. But PSG drew their first game. So there's, uh, although it's a very interesting match in terms of how you prepare for the short turnaround after the Chelsea game, will he rest players? You know, how does he prepare? Or how will Guardiola prepare for Messi? Or will he not bother now? Um, also, interesting to see what PSG do. It's not. It's not, game, it, it? it's not the semi-final, is it? That's the thing. If they were to lose, if they were to lose, it's like, oh right, okay. And I'm sure we'd start thinking they need a striker again. And <laughs> Stop it! But, Stop it! But, but, if, but if they were, but if they were to lose, they've got a head-to-head against. Sorry, they've got a back-to-back against Club Bruges or Brugge 
in the next two games. So you should reasonably be expecting six points from that to go with the nine they've already got. Sorry, the three they've already got to make nine. And then PSG at home, Leipzig away. Like it's it's not there should be no jeopardy in this. And I always remember when because City haven't really had tough groups, have they, in the Champions League? Let's be honest. But I always remember when there's teams that when there's two big teams in the group, and you're always thinking, well, if you lose away to the other big team, as long as like, you've still got plenty of opportunities to win the group and the other games, and basically that's the situation City are in. So it'll be an interesting game, and high quality. Um, but I would also like to see City kind of destroy them a bit because of the whole, oh well, PSG have to be favourites for the Champions League now because they've got messy takes, which is like. I'm just not sure that, that team can be organised enough to yeah. win the Champions League in this day and age when you've got three forwards who, let's, like, for example, they're not going to be able to replicate a performance like City put in at the weekend or did to get into the final last year. Do you yeah. think all three of them will still be there in the second half of the season? What, do you think Mbappe's going to leave in January or something? Possibly. Is he not on a free next year? Yeah, he is. He is. Um, but, I mean, PSG turned down 180 million euros for a season, like what what fee could Madrid offer in January for them to accept? Mm, it's it's interesting, but then it kind of plays into the whole conversation about how this is still so early, and for City, Maybe like you know, winning that win, winning that first game, it kind of set the tone for the group in the fact that you know, as I say, they could lose this and they could be second in that. They'll obviously want to win it because of the players and the club and the manager and all that stuff because they don't really go in half hearted anywhere. But I wouldn't be surprised if you made, say, a few changes for that game. Yeah. Not necessarily in preparation for Liverpool, but to just try and continue in that sort of mould of getting the players all back to the same level because people have come back at different times, you know what I mean? Like, maybe Stones will play in this game and this will be his first football of the season and it might be seen as a negative or whatever, but it's to be part of that process because he gets it. Every game does matter, but then there's a ton of games which you're going to try and play in a season. And I was on uh, the radio with Gail Cliche yesterday, actually, and he said something which I hadn't heard before, but I thought was brilliant. And uh, he said when Pep first came in, he had a big long meeting with the team, to, with the squad to tell them about what's going on. He said, listen, one thing you need to know, you need to buy into the project, but then also know that if you want to be somebody who plays 45 games a season, this isn't the place for you. And with that, he's trying to say that, you know, I will rotate players, but I'll try and maintain momentum and be successful. And if you don't want to be a part of that, then don't be there. So it doesn't matter who the game is against, chances are it's part of the process. And I think this game against against PSG, even though it's Paris Saint-Germain with Messi, Mbappe, Neymar and all that stuff, it's the second Champions League group game. And I think he'll treat it more like that as opposed to playing against the name as it is in this moment. But like Sterling and Maris haven't played much football at all. And yeah. in terms of being the people who want to play 45 games or more, you would say they probably are and they have been. Well, at least Mares kind of was at the end of last season. So it's interesting to see how they're going to be used. And like playing against Wickham is probably not going to quite cut it. So I'm, I'm, sh- well, I'm sure they'd play. But also, I'm, this is a conversation for another day, possibly. But Sterling, he's just not playing well at all, is he? Um, right now. But to be trusted patience. to, yeah, yeah, no, 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 but I mean, to be to be trusted to come in and play the first game of the season um, on basically no training, it's huge. And then he just disappeared until what the Southampton game. So it, it's interesting. I mean, I'm definitely on the side of patience, but also he didn't play well at all for the last however many months of last season as well, but did for England. So it's a it's a strange situation. Well, let's uh, let's kind of look at that in uh, relation to the trip to Anfield at the end of the week as well, then, because um, Nedham, I, I I want to I want to get your view on Anfield as a ground for City to go to because mm. it's been. 
I mean, last season aside, it was 2003 the last time uh, City won there, which I think was before you were a senior yeah, pro. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, that so was, I think Anelka scored, didn't he? Or yeah. So in your entire career, City didn't manage a win away at Anfield, and yeah. like they changed managers, they changed team, they changed owners, yeah. they changed players. So, like, yeah. why do bogey grounds exist like that? Um, I do, think do players get affected by it? I think I think maybe some players do, but you need to be to be affected by it. You need to have gone in there year in year out and taken a beating. But for City, they've not always taken a beating, but they've lost. So even there'll be some occasions. Say maybe the first time you play there, you guys play well, and then you're unlucky because you drew or like you lost one nil or something. When you're coming back the next year, you're motivated to get a better result, but you're not thinking that's a bigger part of like a longer run. Um, but Anfield itself, like. That's one of the strengths. Look, you take away the Anfield crowd and look what City did to Liverpool last year. You know, the game wasn't like, it wasn't like City smashed them or anything in terms of general play, but they smashed them in terms of the result itself. And that's possible because at Anfield, those players for Liverpool get energised by that crowd. I'll argue that referees will also get semi-energised by that crowd. And as as an opposition player there, they don't make you feel comfortable at all. No matter what style of football, whatever you're trying to play, whether it's long balls, dropping deep, pressing high, and if Liverpool have anything to hold on to, if they score a goal, like it will sound, it will feel as if, if you're 1-0 down, it feel like you're two down or three down. If you've got 1-0 lead, like you're feeling like something's going to happen, even though like it's just football, it's on a field, it's 11 v 11, it's still the same sort of thing. But the setting and the way that they sort of go out to support their team and get after the opposition, especially in those big games, is why like we've seen in recent times where they've gone like two years or three years unbeaten at home. You know, we want to solely relate it to City, but they're like they're not losing to anybody there. Last year was literally the exception because obviously City won, but they lost like four times. Before that, you were talking about two years since when Benteke scored to scored for Palace or whatever to win a game there. So it's it's one of those you don't arrive thinking it's a bogey ground, but as the game starts going on, you know, there's an almost inev- an inevitability when the when the final whistle goes and you've not won. But hopefully, hopefully, hopefully for City those players who've now like left that stadium with three points and they're playing well, they'll go in there with confidence and be able to do it because like that, the way that Anfield was kind of felt like what it was like for City for a bit going to Old Trafford. But thankfully that stuff changed and I don't want to say when, but there was but one I, certain incident. Where I was going to say uh, you were part of that team that changed it, yeah. Listen, we, this, all this City team wouldn't have done it without me and that, that <laughs> squad, squad of rejects as we were. You know, if it wasn't for us, none of this would have been possible. So thank, you're welcome, City fans. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Sam, the, the Anfield thing. I mean, we, we said a couple of weeks ago, uh, somehow what will happen is Claudio Bravo will end up in goal again. Liverpool will boot three in from 45 yards. There'll be a contentious refereeing decision. Everybody will pack up and go home. Um, but it, yeah. it can't it can't just be as simple as that, can it? Because we saw from from weekend when City won at Chelsea. Yeah, but look at the performance at Chelsea. Why <laughs> no, can't no, they just no, why no. can't they do that again? Yeah, well I was just thinking there when Ned was speaking in terms of what what City can do. Um it's it's a result that kind of goes under the, the radar. And obviously we used the 4-1 last season as a reference point. Um I suppose some of the home games as well. But that nil-nil a few years ago, I'm sure City would be delighted with that. And if they, it, like, to your, sorry, relevant to your question, why can't it be like Chelsea at the weekend? It could well be like that. And it, it could it could finish nil-nil again. Um, uh, that, uh, that's very possible, I think. Um, it might be a very close game. I, I don't, well, the, the other thing is, to go right back to the very first question, Chelsea's set up hindered them, didn't it? And I don't think Liverpool's, 
is going to hinder them. So there will be chances to transition through proper players who know how to play on the transition. And they'll be looking for that and they'll be wiser to it and they'll be better than Chelsea because, in my opinion, and this isn't an Egypt reaction thing from the weekend, they are better than Chelsea. So it's going to be a lot harder to kind of emulate that style and, and peg Liverpool in. But the, yeah, the most relevant reference point and maybe a more realistic aim is maybe that nil-nil game a few years ago. Not in terms of the result, but in terms of the the approach, really. Because I suppose the game on Saturday wasn't really a great game to watch if you weren't in, really invested in it or particularly you know, paying attention to what was happening on the pitch and more just kind of, oh, yeah, this should be a good kind of slog. Um, I've seen a lot it, of neutrals I, say that they weren't enjoying it and I was like, I don't yeah, really I understand thinking, it. Because like, yeah. Saturday was a great day of football, wasn't it? And I was looking forward to watching Match of the Day. And then when the City game came on, I was like, it's not a great game for the highlights, is it really? Like... It, was, it wasn't a game for the high. It was a game to watch and kind of absorb. And especially as I put on Instagram and said already, so close to the pitch, it just makes it even more engaging. Um, so I suppose, yeah, I suppose City, what I suppose the aim will be and the best case scenario, other than the 4-1, obviously, a more realistic scenario is just try and shut it down um, and do what they did at the weekend and see if they can pick up their chances. Do you not think that's the difference, though, between, say, Liverpool and Chelsea? Firstly, it's like Stamford Bridge can be hostile, but also City can get wins there. But for Anfield itself, regardless of how the result's going, there will still be some sort of level of expectation. If you're behind Anfield, you know it. If Liverpool are chasing Anfield, you'll know it. If there's still time on the clock, you'll know it. You know, there's, the sen- there's that tendency. But then for the way Liverpool play as well, they don't have to play around the back and through the midfield the same way Chelsea do. So for yeah. City, the press itself could be, it could be important, but it might also be irrelevant because most of their threat comes from, say, Salah and Mane trying to stretch balls in behind and stuff like that. So in some ways, you know, when you go up against Chelsea, for some reason, even though they had Lukaku and Werner up there, it's not like they were going from going direct most of the time into the space. But for City, if they if they allow space for Liverpool to be able to play stuff down channels and so on, then that's what it turns into. And then that's a high energy, high press, high whatever game, which falls into what they want to do, as opposed to what we're seeing from City. You know what I mean? So maybe that's that's why Sunday or Saturday again for Chelsea was different to what Sunday will be for City. It reminds me, actually, when you were speaking then, Adam, of the home game against Liverpool last season, the one-all draw, where it started with Liverpool basically going all guns blazing into the space that City were leaving. It took City about 20, 25 minutes to get control of the game. And the difference, I guess, is that if that's at Anfield, then they could find themselves two or three down by then. Well, it, it could be that way, but there's no guarantee that Liverpool will be scoring while they're on top because they lost tons of games last year at home from points where they were on top and so on but it, you just don't want to encourage the opposition in the same way I thought Chelsea messed up by this by not going out and pressing City hard from the start on Saturday I think if City start encouraging Liverpool to be able to do that in terms of stretching the play and finding channels then yeah it's going to be it's going to feel long it's going to feel like a really tough test because that's you know as a player that's the big difference like between having fans and not having fans like the amount of football you've played in your life training games and all that stuff like, for example, a corner is a corner, but a corner away from home feels like you're under the most pressure on the face of planet Earth. You know what I mean? And that's in any stadium anywhere. So if you start playing in and they're like celebrating, throwing, celebrating free kicks and all this stuff, like it can affect, it can affect the way that you think regardless of however good you are as a footballer. So, yeah, I just, I just, I'd be concerned if they try to do the same thing to Liverpool that they did to Chelsea in terms of that really, really high press because I just don't think overall that is going to work because it encourages Salah and Mane 
and to a certain extent Jota, who were their main three players in terms of people who you believe could punish City. So I'd, I'd be wary of that. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I meant more in terms, sorry, I meant more, not necessarily how to do it, but just what City will aim for. Maybe, you know, the way, the way they obviously did do it and can do it, and they did it in that nil nil. And I just mean, whatever they did that day, because I can't remember yeah. the specifics because it was three years ago. But if they were to, to do that, then. I'm sure a lot of neutrals will come Cue, cue the year, cue the headlines after the game if City don't win, Pep overthinks it again or some nonsense like that. <laughs> but it's just like, it's yeah. just a game at Anfield between two really good teams where the margins are so small. Yeah, you know, the overreaction's coming regardless, especially with like an international break after it. Like how much can we overreact for the next 10 days before the next game? I'll tell you what though, Nedim, if City win, I'll overreact to my heart's content. No, I'll no, no, no. That's, that's, not, that's not part of the narrative. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that. No. Uh, right. So before we finish, I just want to bring up Nedim as well. Your uh, your record at Anfield with City is actually not bad given City's record there itself. Uh, you drew two, lost one. Um, so, so, so what you're saying is I never won at Anfield. You never that's won correct. at Anfield. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but, then, uh, to be fair, but you didn't looking, get battered there either. So. Well, this is true. Looking back at it though, Listen, mate, I'm one of hundreds of players that have never won at Anfield. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a thing. Like, you know, credit to them. They have the history and all that stuff. We might not necessarily like them, but, you know, there definitely is something about playing there which affects the opposition. It's kind of like an old school, oh, the place in Salford or whatever, do you know, when they used to have a bit going for them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it can get a little bit like that at times. Yeah, but you did once score a great goal at Stamford Bridge, so I thought I'd mention that. Well, I just wanted to say as well, as far as this is this is the perfect way to describe it. So in my career, I never won at Anfield, but I actually won a couple of times at um, at Stamford Bridge. Did it with City, did it with Sunderland, did it with QPR. So you know that's just that's just a regular weekend, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, let, let's let's hope that it's uh, a successful weekend <laughs> next weekend as well. Then shall we? Uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of Why Always Us. Uh, it's been an absolute blast, fellas. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks to Sam Lee. Yeah, um, thanks, lads. Cheers, Nathan, for coming on, mate. That was great. Um, no. And everyone listening, I hope you really enjoyed some... Now, this is proper City chat, isn't it? And I know I'm an outsider, but this is this is surely what City fans want to listen to. Well, you tell them. If you tell them so, Sam, then I guess they, they have to believe it, yeah? I wish that were the case. <laughs> and, uh, and thanks as well to Ned and Manua. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. And I'll be back on at some point in the future. Indeed. We'll be back very soon. Uh, you can sign up for The Athletic right now with a 33% discount. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic.